Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet are Di Billick and Eric Garneau. How are you both doing? Fantastic. I am doing okay. You know, uh, this is the first time I ever really got the thing with uh, Cloud Strife and Zach Fair, because, you know, Strife, Fair, it's like fair weather, Cloud Strife, so like a turbulent weather system and fair is like you know good sounds like a stretch <laughs> that's crazy no i believe it and that's wild i'm kidding i'm kidding well i mean i i i think it was a little bit oblique and i didn't quite get it myself but luckily what we're going to be doing this week is talking about everything there is to know about final fantasy 7 remake that's right uh, this will be a spoiler cast where we're going to go over everything that happens in the game all the mysteries all the like references to later in the story uh so that does mean we will be going through everything that also happened in final fantasy 7 which means you might be spoiling yourself for later editions of the final fantasy 7 remake series so if you haven't figured it out turn back now yeah and i would also just recommend that if you aren't already familiar with the story if you haven't played through the remake but you want to know more about what's going on here right now then go to wikipedia read the summary for ff7 read the summary for ff7 remake and that should get you you know a baseline up to speed and you can go from there we're gonna come in with a bunch of feelings mostly and by we i mean me so i have got feelings you have feelings sometimes mostly about final fantasy 7 right now okay well you know that's fair then in that case, you know, I think it always is nice to start here. Why don't we talk a little bit about when we played these games originally? So, uh, Eric, why don't you tell us when you first played Final Fantasy VII? So I got a PlayStation 1 to play Final Fantasy VII. This would have been in 1997. Uh, I had played 4 and 6, which, you know, are, are 2 and 3 in the U.S., and I loved especially 3. I don't know. It just it felt like uh, it was time for an upgrade, and I was I was really drawn to uh, like a next gen Final Fantasy notion. So played the heck out of it in like seventh eighth grade all through high school. I was really into seven, although it never really ranked. Like I wouldn't have put it in my top Final Fantasies. What would be your top Final Fantasy then, or like top one or two? Prior to remake, it would have been. Six was number one, and then Tactics, yeah. and then probably probably four. Maybe seven was number three. So like more of a, uh, a Super Nintendo generation fan. I I can see that. I, I know a lot of people who, who grew up on that era of the Final Fantasies who still uh, v- value them greatly. And I, I get it. I get it. I'm one of those people. Well, Di, then, uh, yeah, why, why don't you tell us about how you got into Final Fantasy VII originally? So I um, I got my hand-me-down PlayStation when my brother got a PS2, and that is when I played it first. So when was that, like 2000, 2001, something like that? That's about right, yeah. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was just, like, replaying everything on 
Super Nintendo. And six is also my favorite, tied with nine. I can never figure out which one I like better, but. I also love uh, nine. Nine is just, just, I, I've replayed nine like 25 times. Anyway, I mean, I got seven with the PlayStation. So I got a bunch of games with the PlayStation that my brother just gave me. And it quickly replaced my Super Nintendo as like the thing I played all the time. But I had played it before that. I didn't beat it. I didn't sit down and play it and beat it until around 2000, 2001. But I had played it at my dad's house with my brother for years before that. I remember when we first opened it and like just everything about it. Cause I mean, we went from six, which I had for a long time, which was three, but we went from that to that, like this amazing 3d, like, Oh my God, this is so cool. It's like a little movie. Oh my God. So cool. Look at the cubes. And it's like, we had to rely on our imaginations. And I just remember that so vividly just always thinking about like what would this really look like in real life you know just being fascinated by it but it was uh it was like three years four years after it came out i'm sure there are a lot of people out there yeah who first got to the playstation one library through the playstation 2 and its backwards compatibility uh myself i jumped on ff7 basically when it launched and i never had played an rpg before that like i mean i know legend of zelda is kind of sort of an rpg but not like in the same sense, of course. And I had just seen the commercials for the game on TV. And I was like, wow, this looks like a movie. Cause you know, they showed like the two minutes of actual cutscenes in the game and none of the, <laughs> you know, hours of wandering around, you know, images of uh, scrap metal as a chubby polygon. <laughs> right. But uh, I was still drawn in by the whole story and all the mystery and like all the cool stuff you could do with like materia and equipping weapons and, all that jazz. And I was so bad at that game. Like there's a, you know, the part where you're supposed to go across the swamp, but you have to get the chocobo to do it. Well, I couldn't figure out how to catch the chocobo. So I actually just kept trying to run across the swamp and it took me like 25 tries, but eventually I was able to somehow just run across anyway. Wow. (laughs) It's cool to come back to the game and see it with, you know, fresh eyes and like a more veteran sense of uh, how games work and like how to approach them. And I feel like the designers of the FF7 remake felt the same way because they have gone and really shaken things up. They have decided that this is kind of like the, I guess I would say the J.J. Abrams directed version of Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> or like maybe, uh, Eric, it's more like the, the all-star edition of Final Fantasy VII. I so agree. In fact, when I got to the end of this game, for like 10 minutes, I was like, oh, I don't like this. This is Kingdom Hearts. Which, not to slam Kingdom Hearts, but I think the story is a little much. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, this isn't Kingdom Hearts. This is Star Trek Eleven. Sephiroth is Nero, and this is Star Trek Eleven. And and the ways <laughs> in which Nomura has made it a point to like, do backflips to make sure that everything that came before is honored, but also forge a new story is exactly what J.J. Abrams does in Star Trek Eleven. And I was like, oh, never mind. I actually love this. Like, spoiler alert, it's now not only my favorite Final Fantasy game, but I- I'm sure this is the quarantine talking, but I think it's my favorite video game of all time. Wow. I don't know if it's the quarantine talking because a lot of us got sucked in and maybe the circumstances 
have prepared the landscape of any great, amazing game being your favorite? Because when's the last time we were able to sit down and play a game in the ways that we can right now being stuck in our houses? Do you know what I mean? So, like, nothing against Final Fantasy VII Remake. You know, God, it's it's taken its place as my third favorite Final Fantasy yeah. for sure. So before we explicitly cover the ending, I, let's start at the beginning, not like necessarily with the beat for beat plot, but the first big change that happens in the storyline actually occurs if you play the demo, it's right in the demo where, you know, they're starting out and they're on the bombing mission. And when they get in there and they actually plant the bomb and they get out, I'm not sure if it's like it was a dud or if like they only meant to like kind of sabotage the whole plant. Like it was just like a lower tier of vandalism but then the shinra just like has a bunch of robots go in there and shoot everything up anyway and that causes the reactor to blow up instead yeah i couldn't really track whether there's definitely lingering questions and i don't know whether that's an incomplete story or if it's like teases for future installments but i don't really know why shinra did everything that they did in this game because like I mean, so, but, like, Wutai, I mean, there's, they set them up to be in cahoots with Wutai, so I'm pretty sure they were just trying to forge some type of stronger sense of nationalism, right? I think that's right. It, I would have to look at it. It feels like maybe they did a few things that were, like, very over the top for what they were trying to do, but maybe that's the point of it. That's how I felt, too, is, like, some of the stuff they did was definitely to create this like sense of fear and sense of like nationalism so they could further prosecute this war against Wutai, which, you know, in this original game is only going to be alluded to, but will probably be talked about more in later uh, chapters. But some of the time it didn't seem like that was the plan. And like, you know, eventually you find out there are people on the inside of Shinra who are helping out Avalanche, but sometimes it's unclear whether it's like, them doing that or the actual bad guys being incompetent or just like blind luck that's causing certain things to happen the 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 bigger picture i think will be revealed to us i love that they set it up to where it doesn't ruin the plot or doesn't ruin the story or any of the changes but it leaves us open to i mean they made the world bigger no you're you're definitely right about that yeah they they took Midgar and they like they make they gave it layers and textures not just you know literally but figuratively in the characters and like we were actually able to see the top of Sector Seven with the people living on it and you know what I mean like we were able to see so many more things instead of just like you said it's like a pile of rubble <laughs> where we only have to use our imaginations to like fill in the blanks of what they're trying to do. You know, it's a very like lived in game, which is one of the things I like most about it is it paints this like very vivid world. Even though my first playthrough was only 30 hours, it felt like so complete, which is really cool. The the extra context they gave to like totally agree. Why does soldier exist? What is the conflict between Shinra and Wutai? Like what is living on the plate like instead of just living in the slums and like seeing how the different members of Avalanche were radicalized. Like, at least we saw how Jesse and Biggs were radicalized. They don't really get into Wedge's backstory too much. But yeah, like getting that extra detail where there was none 
in the original was awesome. That was a huge uh, addition that I was in favor of. Agreed. And there's, you know, like later when Barrett is, it, right, later in the original Final Fantasy VII, Barrett is, it, we're all around a campfire. I forget what scene it was, but he's really angry and super upset that his friends died. And without that extra context, it didn't hit as hard. But like, I think back to those scenes where like, you know, now like I really 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 cared about those characters like Bill you texted me randomly and (laughs) one night and said I would all you said was I would die for (laughs) Jesse and you know what I would die for Jesse too (laughs) oh Jesse's amazing Biggs and Wedge I, I love them all yeah it's all of the like side characters are so compelling they all take on their own lives and struggles it's so cool especially with i mean they really got me same and i don't know if you uh uh so the voice acting uh there's is amazing wedge is the guy from uh breaking bad he's badger from breaking bad you knew that right eric so i actually i've never seen breaking bad but i knew him (laughs) as uh britta's boyfriend from the first episode of community Okay. <laughs> so, because I've also been rewatching that right now. Perfect. Biggs is actually uh, Fenris from Dragon Age 2. And also, he voiced, uh, I forgot, uh, Bill helped me out, Final Fantasy 12. He was the main, in 12, right? Balthazar? Yeah. Balthier? He was Balthazar. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yes. Thank you. I didn't know that until I really heard it and I had to dig in and be like, who is this? <laughs> I loved the voice acting with them. I think the voice acting helped make them fully fleshed out characters. Everything was just a uh, chef's kiss. So, yeah, I mean, as you're meeting these characters and the context is growing and then like you see how the uh, plot is diverging a bit based on how the initial bombing mission goes, you also start to see these, uh, the Dementors, the, the worst part of prison, uh, the Dementors. <laughs> and... <laughs> I mean, I know they have, I know they're whispers, but they're, they're dementors. Come they're on. dementors. Yeah. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say this, this, I, it had been, I don't know, 20 years since I played the original. And so I, I kept Google, I actually would follow along with like a strategy guide of the original game, not for strategy, but to see if things were actually like what, what was still there. Cause I was like, I don't remember phantoms. That seems <laughs> new. <laughs> Well, like, yeah, they, they they show up from the very jump pretty much, like right after the demo ends. And you are kind of getting pushed around by them. Sometimes they attack you. Sometimes they help your characters. And it's not entirely clear what they're doing. Although I, I'm pretty sure you can tell it's like they're, you know, kind of fudging with the, the fates of different people. It's like the, uh, it's... So many different layers of like those are like the Final Fantasy purists who don't want any changes whatsoever. The Final Fantasy VII remake. <laughs> That's how I was seeing it. You know, not technically, <laughs> but metaphorically. That's a, that's a certainly a valid read of it. Yeah, it's like the creators of the game are dealing with like how they want to change things. And honestly, I mean, I wish they had been even uh, for more aggressive in changing things that would have been more my speed, but that they tried to integrate like the actual uh, dealing with the plot of the original into as a meta plot into the whole thing was uh, 
it was ambitious. Mm-hmm. It was uh, <laughs> just going to ask with uh, skipping ahead a little bit. You, you meet Aerith for the first time. Uh, I guess you meet Aerith for the second time. Sorry. After the second reactor mission. Does she just know everything that's going to happen? Is she like clairvoyant? I think that she knows because uh, so like taking into account the situation, she reacts to so many things with seeming foreknowledge. Like she she knew that Tifa was going to ask her to go get Marlene before she even said anything. And they were alluding to this too. It's not like they made it this big secret, but that, you know, they punctuated her reactions to things of her foreknowledge. And so, yeah, she knows everything that's going to happen beforehand. And when her and Sephiroth see each other again, they kind of have a little laugh. What does he say? Like, did you miss me or something like that? And she said, not really. And they both kind of have a laugh, a paraphrasing, but that was like, what she knows what's happening. She like totally knows what's going on. That's like that's why I'm like alternate timeline Aerith. Put her head into the life stream, figured out the future in that way, Aerith. Like, why does she know things? We will only find out later. Well, like in the original, she knew stuff that was gonna happen before it happened. Like she almost certainly knew she was going to be killed by Sephiroth before she did, and she was just like kinda, you know, chilling there waiting for it to happen. Right. I mean, here she seems like fully clairvoyant. Like she knows everything that's going to happen. I think because she's she's lived it before. Has to be that, right? Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, or or she's at least aware of the the alternate existences. We're also having other characters have flash forwards, like when Cloud has that moment where he she grabs his arm and he and she goes and he has one of those. <laughs> little uh, glitch in the matrix <laughs> situations and then he cries a single tear did he see her death like you know what i mean yeah there's feels like there's a lot of on the sly references to the fact that she's supposed to die uh, i actually i've never done this with a video game but i started playing it over again immediately after i beat it and i just got to the part where uh she takes cloud back to her house again and when they have a talk in the garden she says something like, it's going to be over soon, which sounds a lot like, hey, I'm going to die. And that was like Spirit Aerith, right? Saying that? No, this is this is pre-Gold Saucer homage date, which I, as many people, I think I only knew that, I thought that Aerith was the only person I could see. And then I talked to other people who were like, oh no, I saw Tifa. It's like, what? Yeah, I think we all saw Aerith, but it's possible to see Tifa in. <laughs> it's possible to see Barrett too. You know, any any choices that you can make, I've I've watched all of them on YouTube because I'm like, there's no way I'm playing this through with every single d- derivative scene, and uh, you know, I was overjoyed by every single one of them. The Tifa one is is strong, so highly recommend to uh, watch that on YouTube if you didn't unlock Tifa. Do you think that when Aerith is always like, oh, I love living in Midgar. It's such like. It's it's so comfortable to have the the roof over you and stuff like that. It's like a some kind of metaphor for her uh, her vision, like that she is comfortable with the way things are going. And then at the very very end, like when they leave, she's also like, I infer that like after she does like the hand wave and says no more mutants, that now she can't see what's going to happen, and right. now she's like, ah, oh, this sucks, basically. Right. 
Yeah, I got that too. That she she's like she's super uncomfortable not knowing what the future is holding. I think the end of the game it it's pretty heavily setting up that like future parts will bear no resemblance to what happens in the rest of the original Final Fantasy VII because may I uh may I uh come in with a new bit of information that uh, was released very recently? Uh, Eric, do you know what Ultimania is? It's like the compendium of all FF7 media, right? So, like, Advent Children is part of it and all that? Yeah, it's like an encyclopedia of guidebooks that Square Enix puts out. So oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah, happened gotcha. is they, they updated it a few days ago, and it's always released in Japanese, and then it takes some time to come out with the English version. And at that time, usually we have some translations. So I found translations on Twitter, and there are three very important things, and it is what you were just about to say. The plan moving forward is uh, Yoshinori Katase, who's the executive producer, he said that they are not drastically changing the story. He says that we are supposed to assume that the story of Final Fantasy VII will continue as Final Fantasy VII always has. Well, hmm. So I totally believe that. So they're definitely going to like, you know, they're going to do a flashback to Nibelheim. They're definitely going to the Gold Saucer. They're definitely going to meet or you might have the chance to meet Yuffie, but like, I, you know, some of it's going to vary like that. I'm sure of for sure. But assuming so like, you know, Zach and stuff, it's maybe he is just existing in an alternate timeline working behind the scenes and never actually changes the, the main story. That's what I got from what Katase said. So, yeah, I think, cause if you look in the Zach flashback, uh, there's like a bag of chips or something with stamp on it, but it's a different stamp than we see in the game, which I think implies that it is a different timeline where Zack survives. So if the especially since they cross paths, right? So if the implication is there are multiple timelines, like, and Eris has lost her sight of them, is is the point now that Sephiroth still knows like that he's destined to die and he'll still be fighting that or? Because it, it feels like it would be weird if, like, we have this crazy, like, alternate reality vision of, uh, in the end of the first part, and then the next parts just continue on the same path of the original. There must be some reference to what we saw, right? Yeah. It's, Surely. It, it's a little awkward, like, how those plot elements are mingling. And, like, uh, the one plot element from the original that feels the most out of place now, to an extent, is... Uh, you know, Cloud's identity because, you know, I just feel like after Cloud has like basically a psychotic episode and faints and everyone like sits in a room waiting for him to regain consciousness, they would start like collecting notes and like figure out, oh, what's going on? He said he's been where and he does what? (laughs) So I'm trying to remember. So when they're in Earth's room in the Shinra place, they're in her, in her Shinra place, she starts to say something about that and the whispers keep getting her and she says every time I they touch me I forget something and I think that like that's why I was like are I don't I don't know how the cloud identity thing is going to play out it's so that's that's a huge you're right when you say that like that's a crazy thing for him to say that you know for us to assume that the story isn't going to change drastically but with things like that it's possible that the story, what happens to the story, is going to be exactly the same because Aerith has to die, right? 
Well, I think the implication is you're supposed to think she might not die. Yeah. But you're supposed to think she might not die. You're supposed to just think that. Well, maybe. She's probably I... still going to die. Maybe. I'm thinking she might survive this one, but I, I only have a guess in my heart. That's the seven seconds. Like, I mean, that's so actually this is a good time to to loop back around to something earlier in the pod is like, you know, when the Sector 7 plate is dropping, if you remember the original game, like if you, the original cutscene for FF7, you like when you roll up on the tower where everything's happening, you see Wedge get thrown off and he falls to his death. But here he manages to bust out a grapple gun and barely survives. And then like after some stops and starts, he continues to survive until he doesn't. You know, he keeps showing up in the plot and he's like, you know, working around in the background trying to uh, work with the mayor of Midgar as like a support team for uh, your main party. But just at one point, (laughs) a bunch of uh, Dementors show up and eat him like throw him <laughs> off a building send him like shoot him with bail fire it's it, i mean he he just goes away so I, I mean just like that whole thing is i think you know you're supposed to see that with Aerith too where it's like yeah maybe she'll live maybe she won't live it's it's still like out in the open it's undecided right now this is what they want they want us to be like they want us to not know what's going to happen and I love that. I love it. <laughs> I love playing a game that I love and know for a very long time that is the same, but it's not. Holy crap. That's so cool. And no matter what they do, I think I might be okay with it. And I say that with confidence, even though I played 13 and 13 too, like a big sucker, hoping it would get better. You know, like I'm not going to love every single thing that the franchise puts out. But I just feel like they can't do this wrong because they wouldn't. Eric, anything you want to toss in there about what you think Aerith's fate would be? I agree with Di that like no matter what happens, I'm gonna like it. Like I'm I'm along for the ride. This game bought a lot of goodwill with me. But yeah, I can't help but feel like she's gonna survive this time. And the only reason that I say that is because even more than in the original game, you spend so much time like leveling her up customizing her putting like making her an asset to your party and like getting to know her that it it feels like even though it would even be more of a dramatically appropriate twist to kill her like i gotta think that they're gonna save her this time i mean it feels like the the next logical fake out would be that tifa dies instead like that would that's i was just gonna say i could see that coming I can't I can't handle Tifa or Barrett dying. I can't. I can't do it. If Barrett wants to come up and say, "Hey, I'm sacrificing myself for the planet." And, you know, as he dies, he goes, "Molly." <laughs> I mean, like I would kill myself. <laughs> would you also scream Marlene when you did so? Yes. You know I would. <laughs> I mean, of course, the real wild thing would be to have Cloud die. That would be so crazy. I would be okay with that. I would be okay with that. Aerith is just by far, like, my favorite character. Like, I loved everything about her in the game. I loved her house. Like, after walking through the Sector 5 slums, which is, like, literal garbage, and then you find your house. I mean, this is stupid, but it really feels... It was, it was like, the closest I'm going to get to, like, going somewhere in I cried. Months, right? And then the music, I like, the music was at her perfect. House. 
Like it, oh, it took the so original great. score, but like it made it symphonic, but not in like I love Nobuo Yumatsu, but sometimes the distant world stuff is like a little too over the top. It's a little too like. Sh- oh, get out of here! Oh my god, <laughs> we're gonna fist fight next time I see you. All I'm saying is the Aerith theme in Seven Remake is like. I think better orchestrated than the actual orchestral version from Distant Worlds. <laughs> I agree with that. And they have a bunch of different versions of it as well. Ugh, I yes. loved it. I don't want to geek out too hard over the soundtrack because it was so that that's a we're we're digressing a lot, but it was the one of the most amazing parts of the game. I'm just going to say it's like a sin against God that I don't own it and that I can't own it. Like I, you can't pre-order <laughs> coming, it right? on the Sony store because it's sold out, and you can't pirate it because for some reason no one has up- uploaded it. Maybe it's on YouTube, but like, it is on YouTube. You can take the OST from YouTube and just like rip them into MP3s. I'm okay, speaking from experience, not not that this podcast <laughs> the OST endorses. is out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you need it, and also like even the dumb like. Like the squat song, the squat song was the fight song, <laughs> yep. but on like on dubstep Ritalin, it was amazing. It was the, God, I mean, like, it, and you know the part the you know the Wall Market song was not wah, the same wah, Wall Market wah. song, but they use it in different spots. Wah, wah, wah. Like, ugh, that was just oh god, it was so great, so great. Like to me, Die and dozens of other people enjoy the Wall Market theme. <laughs> literally dozens <laughs> like to me the soundtrack is kind of a microcosm of how i feel about the whole game which is like it it updates the original so well but also sounds so fresh and like present it took me a, a minute to get really into the game it was you know the part after the demo where you're running through the streets and you run into Aerith again and then the dementors are there I I mean, after that, I really started getting into it. But before that, I was like, meh, I don't know. I met Tifa. It was so magical that I cried. And then using her in combat was, like, amazing. And, like, just everything was really, really great. And just the, that beginning sequence of Aerith with the, uh, with the Mako energy leaking out of that pipe. And then the, like, the, you know, the zoom out to Midgar. I, I mean, I was, I was weeping like a baby. It was embarrassing. So I don't want to like skip ahead too much, but I feel like after the plate drops until basically the very end of the game, there isn't a lot that's new that happens. Like, I mean, pretty much it just, Aerith gets kidnapped. They, you know, they break into the Shinra building. They get to the top of the Shinra building. Is there anything that I'm overlooking new and or different? Um, so chapter five. So one of my favorite new parts that didn't change the plotter story at all was uh, the chapter five airbuster fight. The the way that they, if you remember in the original, uh, it was you're on both sides of the airbuster. You have to kill him, and President Shinra is in the same room for some reason. Like why don't you just like bear it, like get him in the face, right? <laughs> He's now this amazing hologram who is like teasing you oh my god and then heidegger comes in teases you and barrett takes the camera and and i'm just like every moment of that part of that whole fight the music like the you know the what's it called the court the choral part of the airbuster fight that kicks in in the third uh section of that fight just like everything about that fight i was in so deep i was like 
I was seriously smiling from ear to ear that entire time. I If I didn't have a controller in my hand, I just would have been clapping <laughs> like the whole time. That is like little aspects like that where they made the situation more practical, like President Shinra is a hologram. Stuff like that, it enriched the experience so much for me. Holy crap. Uh, the other thing that the new characters I wanted to talk about. The three new characters I wanted to talk about. I only liked one of them. And Bill, I'm pretty sure that you liked the main one that I'm talking about too. Marl. Uh, oh, yeah, she was cool. She was cool. She was, she was great. She was wonderful. And then the two, uh, the two other ones, Kyrie, the annoying, uh, extremely annoying girl, and Roche, the most annoying character in the entire thing. I feel like they agreed because he disappears after chapter five and never returns. <laughs> we don't know that he doesn't come back in the subsequent ones. So. True. I just like it feels kind of strange that he shows up there is not clearly defeated. He's just like, I'm leaving now, bye. And then he never comes back. <laughs> I agree. That That is strange. Maybe he's part of the uh, other avalanche branches because it feels like we never see them again either. I was thinking that too. Uh, one change that I definitely wanted to talk about too was uh, the fight with Reno. Because we never fought him in the ch- in Aerith's church in the beginning, or in the original one. I will take your word for it. I believe I, that's I don't true. remember fighting yeah, I don't remember fighting him till later, but when we were in the church, I just, I don't remember fighting him. And that fight was so fun. Loved that fight. I'm really blown away in general by the, the battle system. Typically, even in a fight that I lose, I will enjoy playing it enough that I don't get immediately frustrated. There, The only fights that I find really frustrating are every once in a while you stumble upon just like a a regular bad guy encounter where they'll get you with status ailments right off the bat and they just slaughter you. And you're like, well, that just erased a bunch of my progress because I got, I walked into a sleep or something. How did you feel about the Tonberry fight? So I played it on classic the first time, which I actually was playing on easy because I didn't understand what classic really was. And it, it wasn't that tough, but I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like on normal, which is what I'm playing now. Okay. Uh, he, I mean, in true Tonberry fashion, he shivs you uh, if you can't even get next to him. Otherwise, he'll kill you immediately. It's so fun. <laughs> Bill, what did you think about Tonberry? You know, I didn't really think too much of it. I kind of just, you know, spammed moves and stuff. And, like, I got, I got through it on the first try. Uh, I'm trying to think about the fights that gave me a lot of trouble. It, this, actually, I just redid the uh, the rude fight on hard. And I finally figured out a kind of a cheat strategy that you can use. So power mode block. If you just control Aerith the whole time, Rude like will not do most of his attacks on Aerith. So you can actually just like run away from him for most of the fight while Cloud will just like swing his sword 80 times and Rude will not attack back at Cloud pretty much. No way. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you might notice like some, Rude is like kind of a a softy for Aerith and Tifa. So yeah, in the fight, like, you know how he does the seize attack to uh cloud. He'll like, you know, tackle him, grab him by legs, swing him around, like throw him across stage. When he does it to Aerith, he just gives him like a little judo chop to the back of the neck. 
Likewise, just with his other attacks, he just mostly doesn't do them. Like, he won't do, like, punches and stuff to Aerith. For me, the hardest nice. fight was Hell House. Oh, I yeah. hated Hell House. It took me probably 20 minutes. Oh, it took me it longer than long. that. that. That was the problem I had. It was just a long fight. Also, I forget its name now, but, like, the big armor thing that you fight as Barret and Aerith in, uh, in Shinra oh, Tower when yeah. you're escaping, that was tough. Right. That was a really tough fight, too. Very, very long. Like, was there anything else before the plate drops you wanted to go to? We're not, like, forbidden from going back to that stuff later, by the way. I'm just, like... If we're talking n- new characters, come on, Chadley. <laughs> yes, Chadley. Chadley. Oh, Cloud. Chadley Hello. reminded me of, like... He was, like, so out of place. I was, like, don't you belong in 13? He looked... He reminded me of, like, Snow. Or, no, not Snow. Hope. It's, it's easy to get them mixed up because they're just such walking tropes sorry i hate 13 with a burning dripping passion but you don't hate chadley with any kind of burning or dripping right chadley seems like an okay kid he's fine (laughs) he's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's certainly a weird inclusion like i mean i I don't think we're supposed to question the fact that he like teleports around or anything like that it's just funny that he does though i mean give me as many uh as possible i'll take him yeah i'm not gonna question it i was thinking we'd get more than like four right. given how many uh lines there are I'm, I'm wondering if maybe like for dlc they're gonna do like some extra like fights bill coming off of you uh currently playing the end of final fantasy 6 again and all the espers that you can equip and then now having like what five we have five right we've got Chocobo. Right. can we get carbuncle is that like a limited thing or no i don't no, I I, I have I the, I the tiny chocobo. So there's like chocobo baby or chocobo chick or something you can get too. Yeah, and then the fat chocobo who's very fun, all <laughs> physical attacks, and then Leviathan, Shiva, and uh, at the very uh, end, Ifrit. If you do all nineteen of the battle intel's, the twentieth battle intel is Bahamut. Yeah. So uh, I I have the Bahamut fight ready to roll but i don't have a full party yet so i'm waiting until i get three people before i try it that my big mission on this second playthrough is to complete all the battle intels because i this is so stupid but like i didn't look anything up the first time i was playing and i could not for the life of me figure out how to increase stagger damage past 160 percent. so when i was done i finally looked it up and i was like oh i could have just read the explanatory text on tifa a little harder <laughs> right. <laughs> I I definitely didn't get it at first either. It it took me just kind of some blind luck I think to get past that of like spamming different moves. Otherwise, I wouldn't have right. gotten it. Have you seen all the different intel missions, Eric? There's one that's really hard if you don't start planning for it early. I think. So I know I know that you have to max all your um green materia, which like trying to do that with revive feels almost impossible. I've had it equipped since i got it and it's at like less than a thousand ap right now yeah it does definitely take a while did you get the pedometer materia i read that that's outside Aerith's house i could not find it it is the purple one that you see you get it in like like... chapter 14 so if you're looking earlier than there you might not see it yet oh you can't get it the first time you're there no 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 okay so i've only passed that part uh in my second playthrough so i'll have to keep a good eye out but yeah, my buddy Dwight got Bahamut, like, the honest way, like, pre-going to Shinra 
And wow. uh, the oddest way. And he said he just grinded in the Coliseum for like hours and hours. All right, I could see that. That could be pretty fun still. <laughs> <laughs> I'd prefer not to do that, but you know. Yeah. I'm grinding myself in a, in a different way, trying to get all the dresses for that uh, trophy. And that is a lot of grinding in its own way of just like running around doing the different side quests and making sure you do like the right side quests too. Yeah. I was reading that like, you know, there's like tree of responses that pushes you towards either Madam M or Chocobo Sam. And when I was playing it this time, I made, I I thought the exact same choices as last time, but they still gave me a different set of side quests. So I don't know. I don't know like what determines what you get. I must have missed something along the way. I've been reading about that too. Yeah, it seems like people still aren't quite sure what influences it exactly. Like, uh, yeah, people will be like, okay, so you have to call the coin toss. You have to get the cheap massage, stuff like that. The number one thing I want to know is who did y'all pick up in the sewer first? And what was your reasoning? I mean, did anyone not pick up Aerith first? I always picked up Aerith just because... I I knew that what I was doing influenced things. And even though I love Tifa with all of my heart and would also die for Tifa, I had to make sure that... It, I don't know if save info carries over. Guys, what if we can save Aerith and it is determined by our actions? So I Ooh. picked up Aerith <laughs> first, my, just in case. My thing is just like Tifa's a grown-ass woman you know, who can kick a lot of ass by yourself, whereas I was Aerith's bodyguard. So it seemed like I had to pick up Aerith. Bill? Uh, well, I mean, I picked up Aerith because I was like, yeah, Aerith's cute. <laughs> yeah, but Tifa is a badass. Tifa's also, really cute, too. Props, because all Bechdel tests were passed in this game. We've got a lot of really strong female friendships going on. I love how tifa and jesse's relationship played out and then tifa and Aerith became really good friends i was so 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 happy with that i'm sorry i was gonna say i, I got the impression that tifa and jesse didn't like each other actually they had they had a great uh, to me they had an amazing dynamic that was always just kind of there you know what i mean like yeah like they cared about each other i mean i'm sure they weren't like you know openly hostile but jesse was kind of like burying tifa and being like yeah she's not really committed to the cause yeah but she was just trying to get into cloud's pants i i did like how like every woman was like into cloud in a way in in like different ways jesse was very flirty tifa i i couldn't tell do you think she really wants to hook up with cloud and and like yes do you think cloud wanted it back he seems to be wishy-washy too well cloud is also an amnesic who woke up in a ditch with a sword and a dead body so it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what he would have wanted originally. I mean, Fair. this whole, like, <laughs> the whole Final Fantasy, like, the original was a thirst trap, too. Everyone just, like, you know, everyone was into Cloud, the first one, you know, the original, and I'm really glad that they did that again. Even Don Corneo is into Cloud. Yeah. I mean, like, of course. But that whole thing with Don Corneo and, like, again, with the back to the them unproblematizing everything, holy crap. Like, they took the Honey Bee In segment. It was so stupid and wonderful and amazing. I seriously remember the, um, <laughs> you know, if you're doing the dance right, they cut over to Aerith and she's clapping and, like, just going crazy <laughs> with, with, like, complete mirth. That was me the whole time. <laughs> like, I was so happy. But, like, the fact that they made the cross-dressing 
not like a, the butt of the joke and they made the gay characters like nice strong characters that weren't jokes in and of themselves they killed that they killed that so hard yeah i was really happy to see that andrea basically just called out gender fluidity i thought that was a nice way to remake the original scene with kind of a modern sensibility and not like lose what people probably liked about it in the first place totally 100 percent. because that like going in i don't know about you guys that was the part i was most worried about was like how is this Me too. gonna yeah, play was, in 2020 they softened that stuff or like made it more accessible for everyone but they also didn't soften the fact that like no avalanche killed people avalanche is a bunch of terrorists they they didn't actually do it but they intended to blow up a reactor and right. they were okay with that Barrett's just like, I mean, yeah, yeah they, you broken eggs. Oh, well. They stayed so true to all those things, but didn't, I don't think they did really anything wrong except for Roche. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading some review that said that he was their favorite part of the game because it brought depth to the soldier program. And I was like, what? Mm, no, Get I didn't see that at all. Here. He was like a, I, I was like, he took me out of the story completely. He was so bad. It felt unnecessary, but I did like that there was the motorcycle minigame came up twice. I thought the second one was a little too long for my liking. I liked the first one better. So the first time I played Final Fantasy VII, that moment of like leaving Midgar was so... Like, I didn't realize until I was playing the remake how impactful that was of like busting out of this city that had been your your environment for the first part of the game. And like... I was so looking forward to them, like, Thelma and Louising off the uh, <laughs> off the highway. And the fact that the game ending took the turn that it did was really, like, unexpectedly subversive. I feel like we've, we've danced around it. I, we've alluded to it. Let's, let's talk about the ending. Let's talk about how the ending plays out. Can I, just to calibrate... You know I'm on record as saying I loved it. Die, I'm suspecting you also really liked it. Uh, I did really like it, and I have a little one last tidbit from the Ultimania that was recently updated. Ooh. So the last, the final three whispers, we have one with a machine gun, we have one with a sword, and we have one that fights melee, right? And in my head, I was like, I, I was coming up with all these theories. I was like, oh, yeah, it's so smart. i got to get this. Like, maybe... They're fighting their future selves. One is Tifa, one is Cloud, and one is Barrett. And they're their future selves trying to stop themselves from doing this because if Aerith is saved, then Meteor destroys the Earth, and then all the things that they think they're doing for good is actually bad. That's not true. Uh, (laughs) We have confirmation from the Ultimania Guide that the three whispers are Kadaj, Yazoo and Laws from Advent Children. Oh, oh, okay. So there's a lot. Yep, that's that's what I thought too. I was like, interesting. I liked my theory better, but okay. (laughs) There's a lot of metatextual stuff. I like your theory better too. Someone asked me if, if they never played Final Fantasy before, would they like it? And I told them that I think they will enjoy this more than the original, but that things at the end might confuse them and they should look at it as a tease for the next installment versus trying to understand it. I think that's great advice. So, Bill, I'm going to guess by some of your comments online and in our chat earlier that you maybe aren't as on board with the ending as the other two of us. My feeling on the ending is they should have either just 
changed the story to FF7 and not commented on it and just been like, yeah, it's different now. Or gone even zanier with the things that they did change. Like there was a hot 10 seconds there where I thought Cloud is trapped in space and like Zack had taken his place. And I was like, <laughs> that is absurd. Give me more. But then it's like it, the the cut of the the shot showed like just the shoulder plate that Cloud and Zack both wear. So then I was like, did they swap out Cloud for Zack? And then they pull out further and it's Cloud. I was like, oh, well, I guess that's good too. God, what I wouldn't give to play Zack instead of Cloud, like in a in a replay. Well, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. That, I mean, that that's a good spot to talk about, like exactly what's happening in the ending. Is like Aerith kind of just waves her hand and says, "I can change the future." <laughs> and so she's like, "Yeah, uh, if we go through this portal I just made, things will be different." But they're they don't say what's they don't know what's going to happen. They just know it's going to be different. So. They're, you know, I mean, I, I would go for it, too. I understand why they would try and change stuff, but they they jump in the portal and then it cuts away, I think, right then to Zack. And that thing that's happening to Zack is actually the ending of the game Crisis Core for that what came out like a while ago. And Crisis Core is like all about Zack. It's like Zack's story from when he joins Soldier to when he dies. That's the ending of the game. And the original FF7, if you haven't picked it up from some of the stuff we talked about already, Cloud is not who he says he is. He is actually trying to pretend to be Zack. He's gone through some stuff. And part of the outcome of that is he is now pretty much thinking that he is Zack, like he's using Zack's sword, like literally the same sword. He wears the same outfit. He... styles his hair pretty much the same way but he's not trying to pretend to be zach it is a ptsd from the trauma and the mako poisoning and all that so it's, he doesn't know that he's pretending to be zach yeah he thinks that the things that happen to zach that are shown in crisis core happen to him yes so he has kind of rewritten his own memories to believe that he is zach because what originally happens to cloud in the first game is like he goes to join Soldier and he either washes out or never gets in in the first place. He is never actually a soldier. So like all the times where they're like soldier and he's like ex-soldier, he was a never soldier. And they even have like that one point where Hojo is like, oh, oh, you're, you think you're a soldier? And then like the wisp, the Dementors show up and they like pull him away so he can't like spill the beans. Right. But yeah, so that that's all a roundabout way to say like Zach shows up. And this is like chronicling the moment that he is about to die. And in in Crisis Core, you know, you do that fight. You like you you hold out as long as you can, basically. But eventually, you just you die. Then they uh, they go through. They you know they fight a bunch of uh, monsters. They punch a bunch of monsters. Which die? You were saying that they're actually based on the three villains from Advent Children. And as part of that, as they defeat them, they get more of a clue as to like what could happen in the future. Like. They show a real fast clip that's supposed to be from the original ending to FF7 with like Red 13 running through, you know, an, a valley and then coming across the ruins of Midgar. A humanless world. And, and I mean, like later they retcon that with Advent Children, but originally it seems like when you see that ending, it's like, so did everyone die? 
Like when you, right. When uh, here's a, that's a good question. Actually, when you originally played FF seven, Eric die, did you just think like everyone just died? Like that was the ending of the game. Yeah. I never beat it. That's what I thought. You never beat it. Oh, I got, no. I got to the crater and then I was like, I'm going to go power game by beating the weapons. And guess what? I never could do. Oh no! Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, anyway. it's on Switch. It's on Switch right now. Yeah, I've thought. I've of got it on my Switch. I've thought about it, but honestly, in my head, I was like, I will probably enjoy playing Seven Remake again more than playing Seven the first time, like the original Seven uh, again. I'm not saying I'll never go back. Well, then in that case, just to cover the the very very ending of Seven real quick, uh, Cloud kills Sephiroth, which stops Sephiroth. From stopping Holy from being cast, which Holy then stops the meteor from destroying the planet. And then the very last thing you see is a flash forward to Red 13, you know, running through the forest with a couple of cubs. And they, you know, they stop and they see like just the, the ruined city of Midgar. And that's the end. And then Advent Children happens. And then Advent Children happens. But we're not going to talk about Advent Children more than we already have. <laughs> <laughs> It's not worth talking about in my uh, humble opinion. But yeah, so like they see that flash forward. They see, they. I mean, they already saw like the meteor strike. They figure out that like Eris is, or sorry, Aerith is going to die. And then eventually they end up fighting Sephiroth again. And you go through that fight. And finally, this is another thing right from the ending, uh, Eric, is Sephiroth and Cloud go into space. And Sephiroth is like, this is the edge of creation. And that's like the same setting as the very final confrontation in the original FF7. That's where you finally kill Sephiroth. Except this time, Sephiroth is like, hey, I'm kind of aware of what's going on too. And I don't want it to happen. Will you join me, Cloud? And Cloud's like, nah, I ain't going to do that. (laughs) And there's that line about seven seconds, right? Which someone has theorized is is either how long Cloud has to react to Sephiroth killing Aerith or possibly how long it takes Cloud to finish Sephiroth like while they're in the life stream at the end, right? That could be it, yeah. Also, there is another theory that that seven seconds is how long it took the Sector 7 plate to fall. And in my head, I'm like, that doesn't sound right. But I'm just throwing it out there that I read it somewhere. Interesting. But yeah, so, and then someone else has postulated that Sephiroth gained knowledge of the alternate timelines when he plunged into the life stream right at the end of the original seven. And so we're seeing like a Sephiroth who kind of right before his untimely death has decided to traverse time to hopefully prevent it or like find a reality where that doesn't happen. Yeah. And is hmm. I guess it would be like an, a rea- reality where he wins too. Like he still yeah. is determined to destroy the world and bring uh, Genova with him to like start a new civilization or whatever. Which is why I say it's, it's the JJ Abrams Star Trek because that's exactly (laughs) Nero's plan, right? Is he realizes that Romulus is like a galactic joke and goes back in time so that it won't be anymore. So yeah, it's, it's such a weird bit of synchronicity. I think FF seven remake is much better than Star Trek 11, but I I can't stop thinking about how weirdly similar they are. (laughs) The one thing with the seven seconds too is in that very final fight, I'm pretty sure like when you're right about to beat Sephiroth, he starts saying like 10, 
nine, eight. And then like when you beat him, that's the seven seconds that are being saved. Oh, cool. So I, yeah, that makes the most sense. Like he's about to, uh, I forget, he's like about to cast some big super spell that's going to kill everyone. So you have to take him down before that happens. But yeah. Huh. Man, I don't know. I feel like they could do anything. And, you know, the I've never played Kingdom Hearts because I hate Disney with a burning passion. <laughs> but, like, I mean, it's pers- it's a personal problem. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the actual Disney. But uh, the whole, like, time travel alternate timeline thing, like, and, oh, it was, all, it was all a dream. That's what it reminds me of, where it's, like, it invalidates everything that, everything of substance that happens. So I just really hope... That they don't go too crazy on the alternate timeline, time travel type thing that's going on. I know that they're doing it. It's obvious that it's done. But, like, I hope that they, I hope that that doesn't unjustify or invalidate anything that's happened thus far, you know? When you're writing fiction, it's it pretty much like saying, oh, it was all a dream or... Oh, I was on drugs. You're really just, you know, like it invalidates everything that happened and it makes it feel so cheap and fake. Well, to me. So I'm just, I'm hoping. To me, this first part was made with such care that they bought a lot of uh, leeway with me because I agree with you. And like, I wouldn't play Kingdom Hearts if I were you. <laughs> I bought a PlayStation <laughs> 2 for Kingdom Hearts and I loved it at the time. But it it really, it, it, it reminds me of Twilight in as much as like, it's porn without the sex. It's like the most bald. Twilight, and... like Stephanie Meyer. Twilight, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Mormon lady. Yeah, it's like emotional porn with like oversex teenagers who just like can't oh. stop talking about like destiny. You're and you're the one I meant to be with forever, and we'll always find each other. And it's like, oh my god, why did I ever like this? But like, <laughs> and I thought Seven was veering that way because like for me, destiny is is like. I'm not going to say trigger word because that's disrespectful, but it's a word that keys me in to when a plot is going to go away. I don't want it to go, but (laughs) yeah, I feel that I think there is like a good in story reason for why Sephiroth and presumably Aerith are, are trying to thwart their destiny. And I, so far I'm like, okay, I buy this. This feels like a logical extension of the characters. So, I mean, it, it has to be because they wouldn't do this to us. Right. I mean, like so many people love this game, and I mean, they it has to it has to be done well. Please, Lord, that I don't believe in, let it be done well. <laughs> the the thing that sucks to think about is how long it's going to be, right? For the next part, like I bought my PlayStation Four in 2015 for two games: Kingdom Hearts Three, which, as you might have guessed, I really didn't like at all, and Final yep. Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> <laughs> which came out over the last year. There's information on that as well that was tweeted. And it's basically, Nomura said there will probably be three parts, and I think that you both probably know that. He said they want to release the next one ASAP. But they said if it's going to be in three parts, it's going to take a longer time to make. And if they're going to make smaller sections, it's going to be released sooner. So... If there's four or five, probably going to get one sooner than if we got three. I'm I'm not going to lie. I was going to say I would be surprised if we if we get everything completely finished by the end of the decade. I think we'll be doing good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if if we break it up into four or five installments, we're looking at like eight years. And I mean, you know, at the at the very least, if if it's like 
going to be produced as quickly as they say. They have these timelines that they're speculating. But, like, I don't know. I I like this first one so much. I would be totally okay with four or five or six. <laughs> I oh, I, I would pay. Like, lay them on me. I would pay $50 twice a year if I could keep playing this game in, like, even 20-hour chunks, <laughs> which I don't want to tell them because that gives them power. But I feel But that. I agree with you. I agree with you. But the thing, too, Bill, is, like. You, I don't think you agree. I still think they're, like, there are definitely parts of this that drag especially in the once the plate drops like i feel like there's a lot that could have been cut to accelerate things towards the ending like we got to go back to sector seven we got to go back underground we got to go back to sector five we got to go up to the top we got to go through the shinra building hojo like they even do the cliche thing where like they lock a door and there's like an evil person that like makes you do a bunch of stuff in the room before the door will unlock like they 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 wrung every last <laughs> drop of extra time they could out of the back half of that game. But God, I want I wanted that. I was like, oh, please make this last forever. I loved it. I agree. Like Bill, you're not wrong, but it for me it completely worked. <laughs> you know, all all that said, I also am pretty sure that this is like at least by the third installment will be on to the next generation, if not the next installment. And I'm wondering if data will carry over. Right, like I bet they'll they'll also back release it, so it'll probably keep coming out on PS4 too as like a maybe a less HD version or whatever. But like, will all the work we put into these characters matter in the next part? I hope so. One thing that Kingdom Hearts, as you know, Eric was really bad uh, <laughs> about is you know it would come up with contrived reasons for why your character had to start over at level one again, like. Sora gets caught in a bubble or he gets like norted and like he loses all his powers and stuff like that. I'm waiting for the the excuse for why all the characters have to start level one here as a like, oh, it's a new timeline. You just forgot everything you knew about how to fight. Yeah, or or they could even do like some weird like Dallas type thing of like, well, now that you're outside Midgar, it's a whole unexplored world and you're you're a fresh face. So we're going to metaphorically, it's like you're starting over. So level one for you. I'm really interested to see how they're going to do that. There was a moment where, uh, you know, in Kingdom Hearts, of course, it's kind of notorious that Kyrie is more often like not in the game than in the game, even though she's supposed to be like one of the two central characters to the story. So I thought at the end of... uh, where like she when Aerith first opens the portal, I was like, oh my god, she's just gonna like step into the portal, and then you're gonna have to like spend the next game trying to find Aerith. <laughs> Luckily, they didn't, didn't do that, but I was afraid for like thirty seconds. Is it possible to carry save data over from like two different games? I I literally don't know if it's in the cloud. So like. <laughs> What the way that they did this with Dragon Age Inquisition is you got to choose what happened at the beginning of the game, like with your character. Who did you choose? What happened? Who did you side with in these other games? Uh, if you were say if you if you were not in the cloud, but if you saved your data on the Dragon Age server, all of that information carried over and had an effect on the world. Oh. And that seems like there's so many different options for the Dragon Age games that I feel like that's appropriate there. But for this, since it's mostly linear, I don't see how that would 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 work. Not that it wouldn't work. I just don't know how they would go about operating that. Uh, 
I don't know. Because you wouldn't start at the level that you ended up, you know? So one thing they could do is, like, they could just set the baseline for characters for, like, a new player at level 35 and just say, yeah, this is the baseline for when you start this game. And then if you import your player data, then they can start at level 50 instead. Or maybe they'll just, like, you get to keep your materia or you get to keep your abilities, but you don't get to keep your level. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like a, right. a new game plus in a way. I, I agree that feels rational. Or, yeah, the alternative is they, they just give you everything you could have gotten in the game at, like, an average level. Which I think I ended the game at, like, level 33 or so. But, yeah, we'll see. We will, we will. There was, there was one final last thing they did in the uh, the ending that was uh, unexpected after you get back from space hanging out with Sephiroth. And it's that Zack is somehow alive. Zack, you have changed destiny. And now Zack has survived the fight that was supposed to kill him. And Aerith somehow sees like Zack walk by. And I think we've already theorized as to what that means. I'm just going to toss my own theory in there as well, which is that you will meet Zack in the next game. Like, you are in the same timeline. Aerith is just seeing like a thing that happened before, which is Zack coming to Midgar. So now we're going to figure out like what happened to Zack during the events of the first game. And he'll like catch up to you. Interesting. So you don't think that's an alternate universe. You think that Zack for real survived. I think Zack really survived. Interesting. Like I know the thing with the, with the, the uh, chips, the bag of chips that you saw that like signifies this is a different like timeline. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that wasn't the same timeline as the one that our characters ended up in. It just means that it's a different one than where they were before. Or it just means that somewhere between that flashback and now, this chip company did some redesigns. <laughs> like the, the cookie, as we know from my favorite show, Community, the Cookie Crisp mascot went from a, a burglar to a wizard or a dog or something. So anything's possible. <laughs> what if they, what if when Aerith opens the thing and, you know, because when, when Zack survives, we see uh, all the whispers that were surrounding Midgar float away and then like gold golden dust rains down upon them and what if the timelines are converging somehow after they go through the portal you know mm, interesting eh? that <laughs> that i could see too it's kind of like a crisis of like the the infinite earths infinite earths Ooh, this is really this is really a cop-out you guys but what if like the real magic of this game is that the ending gives us so much to talk about while we have nothing else going on in our lives. <laughs> I mean, I'm just playing more games, but the the whole like uh, I I've heard that people are mad about it and I've been on the Reddit, the Final Fantasy 7 remake Reddit and there are titles of like I know everyone like fucking hated the ending, but also and it's like a bunch of people commenting like we didn't hate the ending. What are you talking about, purist? And, like, that was me. <laughs> but, like, a lot of people really loved it, and a lot of people who played the original really loved it. And, I I mean, they got to really do some wacky, wacky stuff at the end of this for me to come out hating it. Yes, it would take a lot at this point. Like, even the, just the gameplay. Like, this is such a pleasant, 
game to play. It's so smooth. Like, I don't know what they could do to make me hate it. Or if it's really bad, we'll always have the first part, right? I'll just forget that there's more parts. A great unfinished masterpiece. Eric, did you play 15? I did. And the opening, like, three minutes of 15, I think, is, like, perfect. Like, you have the arpeggiated harp theme that segues into Florence and Machine's Stand By Me as these dudes are pushing a broken car up a hill. Oh, my God. I didn't like the rest of the game. <laughs> like, okay. What about the combat? Um, no. So, I I think Seven Remake got it took the best of what Fifteen was trying to do and merged it with a classic ATB system. Fifteen Agreed. felt a lot like what if Kingdom Hearts was needlessly complicated, whereas Seven <laughs> felt like what if it was as fun and fast as Kingdom Hearts. But you still got to be tactical, like in an RPG. So the so I ask because fifteen was the first Final Fantasy where you you know besides the MMO I don't I don't have any experience with the MMO fourteen, but it was the first Final Fantasy where it's not turn based combat and it's you know straight away melee and I I personally love fifteen like a lot a lot like fifteen was my third favorite before this came out and this took place as my third, but. The difference between the the combat in 15 and 7, I'm going to agree with you. They even added the stagger from Final Fantasy 13. And I just, I loved the combat so much. So, like you said, if they do something to mess it up so, so badly, we will always have at least the combat. The combat is so fun. Right, yes. The tactical options and, like, still have the ATB. Everything about it, it's like playing the old Final Fantasy, how it was meant to be played. In my in my personal opinion, I know that a lot of people will disagree with me, but God, Bill, where are you on this? Um, like with the combat and how it feels. Just the the turn from the turn based, like playing seven turn based first, and then turning over into this like new field because that was I think everyone's biggest question mark. People who've played Final Fantasy before. Yeah, I definitely thought they hit a home run with. Uh how the game plays and like how the combat works. Like I could not have imagined them finding this like hybridized turn-based slash real time system. And I think it really works. And with uh, apologies to everyone who had to like slog through FF 13 or 15 to get to this (laughs) point that uh, it seems like they've, you know, (laughs) taken their lumps and figured out a really good working system. Yeah. I played 13 too. Um, This was years ago, but was was that turn-based? I, I really hated the yes. combat, like more than fifteen. Oh wait, thirteen two was not turn based, but it was horrific, and I couldn't play it. Thirteen couldn't, two, couldn't I thought was like garbage. So I'm glad to hear you say that. Thirteen two was, ugh, I don't even want to talk about it. Anyway, <laughs> I've heard some people defend FF uh, thirteen Lightning Returns, like saying it's not that bad. I've heard that too, but I mean, the first two ruined me. Final Fantasy thirteen started getting good at the very end of it, like literally the last five minutes. Then you had to play through thirteen two, which was horrific in its own way, but still better than thirteen. It was just so. That's just my opinion. I know people disagree with me, and I'm not right all the time, especially with that game. But I. God, I wanted to like it so bad, and it just ruined me. Oh, so mad. Um, I think I think maybe part of why... I mean, you said fun, and it it's just so satisfying to, like... You can button mash and take your aggression out on, like, little chump bad guys. 
but then you also have to work around like using your ATB triggers effectively. Like to me, that's been the biggest change between playing on easy and normal is like on easy, you can pretty much just be cloud and like switch to other characters when they have uh, stagger weaknesses to exploit. But on normal, you got to switch and always be doing like something cool with everybody, which is really fun to coordinate. I tried easy for the very first time last night on the Reno fight. And you know, I, I was okay at the Reno fight on like normal and hard. And then I tried it on easy and I won in like 15 seconds. So I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I literally never died in, in easy, uh, like as a party. I think I used four Phoenix Downs in easy the whole time. And in normal, I used four <laughs> Phoenix Downs in chapter one. In, right, in one battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Scorpion is no uh, joke, man. Chapter one is not... the hardest I've had so far because you have no chance to like level up, you know? So you're basically just like, well, I hope I survive this. Yeah, I mean, uh, on normal and especially on hard, like you have to pay a lot of attention to like the different verbal callouts and stuff. Like usually the characters will like give you hints on like what you should be doing and they're, they're invaluable hints. Like uh, l- later on, you know, you fight in the inside the Shinra base, you fight the two uh, sweepers at once with Wedge. And Wedge is like, hey, I threw a mine on the ground. Lead him this way. And like on hard, you really need to lead him to the mine to like deal the extra damage. <laughs> also, wow, I feel like such a chump, but the shock troopers always wreck me. Like I had to learn really hard how to like punisher mode block because those guys would just destroy me. The way I would play on easy, I could not take them on in normal mode. I'm I'm not very subtle about it. I will just put on Punisher mode and sit on my block and then just wait. And usually they'll just come over and attack you anyway. I mean, that's just smart. That's good tactics. <laughs> so I, I do think we need to start. We don't need to end. We need to kind of like start winding our way towards the end of this podcast. I have a suggestion. Can we play a game? I love games. Sure, yeah. Wow. I would like to play Kill Mary. <laughs> Can we can we do a PG thirteen version of that? How about uh? Um yeah. Uh, Sorry, I would like to play illegally. Uh, join. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't tell kids about marriage. It's they'll wreck their lives. Oh, uh, you got me so hard on that one. Uh, okay, great. Well, while you guys are considering yours, I've already written mine down. Uh, for the sake of. Oh, so we each have to propose time. one? Yeah. Oh. I mean, as a as a heterosexual female who hates men but unfortunately is still attracted to them, I've I've taken that into consideration <laughs> for this game. I would obviously marry Barrett. Wow, what a champion for the planet. Also when he takes off those sunglasses, whoo boy. You can see how sensitive he is. Also he loves Marlene. It's not even his kid. Who would I kill? For sure, Roche. He's pointless. Get out of here. I wanted to kill him so bad, but I didn't even have the chance to. Very, very upsetting. And then um, I would fornicate with Biggs. Wow. I mean, I would also marry him at the same time, but polygamy is against the law. I mean, he volunteered at uh, the, the what's the place called? The the, um, the house, the leaf, leaf house. The leaf house, the leaf house. Yeah. Yes, well, he, he was like. He a, ran it. Like, is that, that's what they say, right? Like the, the current teacher is like, well, I'm just trying to do the best I can. And the example of the person who did this before me. I mean, what, how perfect, how perfect can you be as a human being? Uh, except Barrett, he's just got a little more fire. That's why got to marry Barrett. I would marry both of them. 
that's uh, those are my answers, final answers, and I'm sticking well, to them. Biggs is hot, I I will say. You know, die. You know, you're you're supposed to choose from three people that we suggest for you. I think that's the point of the game. I thought. Uh, okay, lay them on me. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> all I can think about is their answer already. All right, Boink, Mary, Kill, <laughs> Scarlet, Heidegger, and Palmer. Ooh. God. Is Palmer the pervert? Palmer is like the the older dude who yeah. first runs into uh, Sephiroth in the Shinder building. Yeah, yeah. Pervert. Uh, well, man, I would probably have sex with Heidegger because mm. he's the the le- he's just the least uh, offensive for me personally. I would I would kill Scarlet because she is. A huge narcissist. She uses men as uh, step stools and uh, footrests and ottoman, and she is just a she's a very. I mean, they're all bad people, but uh, I guess I would have to marry uh, friggin' Palmer. <laughs> He's got an executive salary. He could probably, you know, look after you. I don't care about that. <laughs> look after myself. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, Scarlet, you know, when she's in that lab near the end of the game, they're making huge materia in there, right? They're trying to? Yeah. That is interesting. To me, that's like one of the bigger plot threads that just doesn't go anywhere in this first installment. Is like, what I think is... it will. Oh, I think it will too. But like, what is that scene even there for otherwise? It was is interesting. I like the version of this game where you just pick out three characters from the <laughs> game and, and name your ideals. So for me, I mean, absolutely marry Aerith because... She is so sweet and like, I mean, again, it's, it's the quarantine talking, but I, and also I'm, it's not like I don't, I am in a relationship with someone I like a lot, but I definitely fell in love with Aerith just a little bit, even though she's not real (laughs) and uh, I am otherwise partnered. So there's that. I think gotta get with Tifa, just like some crushes never die, you know? And, uh. Mm kill who would i kill of anyone in the game i think ooh i mean don corneo that dude is the trashiest of trash <laughs> it's so funny how they made his belly jiggle <laughs> they worked really hard on belly jiggle mechanics well how about you bill uh bill do you want them assigned to you well first i'm going to you know i like to play it my way so i'm going to assign 3 to eric and he can deal with that too Great. So I'm going to give you uh, Johnny, the newspaper reporter from the uh, Guardian of the Slums quest, and yeah. Kyrie. Okay, this is going to be unpopular. Uh, fuck Kyrie. And then the other two, at what newspaper reporter, I think his name is Damon, at what point in, in the game are, am I getting him? Is he coming to me? Let's just say when you first meet him, and that which is in oh. chapter... Eight, I think. Eight or nine. Then I think this is so hard, Bill, because Johnny's like my least favorite character. But I think I would kill Reporter and marry Johnny if it was Reporter at the end of the game after he's like convinced to join the side of the angels. I would maybe marry him and try to steer him towards a life of justice. Johnny at least would maybe be fun to be around and would be gone a lot, which is nice. <laughs> I don't hate Kyrie like you guys do. I'm going to just say that. I've got yours, Bill. I'm ready. Oh, okay. Please. Yes. By all means. All right, Bill. Genova, <laughs> Marl, 
and Sephiroth clone 49. Ooh. Hmm. 49's only 20 away from the good number. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I would definitely marry Marl. She seems like an absolute sweetheart, and I would love to have her around. Blank Genova, I mean, you know, alien alien beings that's like a once in a lifetime opportunity and kill sephiroth clove 49 perfect and if i'm gonna I've pick heard. for myself it would be boink shiva marry ifrit kill chocobo and moogle <laughs> yes i know we're rapping but i do want to say the sephiroth clone thing i also had to look that up and that's very kingdom heartsy but that's in the original game right so Remake doesn't really tell us who they are, other than, like, we kind of get hints from Cloud's visions, but... That's it is something. in the original game. But it's not... It's, it doesn't look the same. I don't know. I think that... Isn't there stuff that... It, it doesn't it look the same as, like... Did they do this in, in Crisis Core or Advent Children or any of those things? In Crisis Core, they do take some time to expand on, like, why Sephiroth, you know, goes something-something before he blows up Nibelheim and like he does you know find out that he is like the product of genetic tampering with like Genova and stuff and that eventually causes him to become deluded and think that Genova is his mom but he is you know a regular human at heart and then I, I thought that the clones weren't you know they're not clones of Sephiroth exactly right they're still like trying to inject them all with like Genova cells and that's like what Cloud right. and Zach got, you know, loaded up with two. But they're called Sephiroth clones. They are. Is a clone of his at one point in the original story, but that is wrong. And then in the original story too, though, isn't the isn't the first couple of Sephiroths that we see aren't those Sephiroth clones? I I thought that they're all like part of Genova. Like everything is Genova. Like in the original, Sephiroth is dead, dead, dead. And we're just seeing like visions right. put out by Genova until the the absolute right. super end when then you finally do actually meet Sephiroth. Sephiroth God. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So convoluted. Yeah, this is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very much like the Avril Lavigne song. <laughs> the, the, guys, the original is not like a perfect, amazing end all be all story. Oh, no. Like if you go back and play it, you'll be like, <laughs> you know like so that's why i'm okay with the ending being like oh we're gonna change some stuff we're gonna iron some things out yeah seven always felt like a game like once i developed critical faculties i kind of started thinking of it as something that was like it had grand ambitions but the execution was a little wobbly which maybe that's how bill feels about seven remake but to me i'm like oh baby more of this <laughs> yep <laughs> same eric with comic books i always like the stories that are standalone and they just kind of like, we're going to tell a story we want to tell. And it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that they don't feel the burden to like draw on all of the continuity of what's come before to inform what they're doing now. Like they can, you know, allude to it. They can reference it where they choose to, but not that they're like, you know, like this Spider-Man knows all the other things that happened in Spider-Man's life. He remembers being like, replaced by Doc Ock, and he remembers, you know, all, yada, 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 so on and so forth. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And, like, to me, it's a, it, it's like walking a tightrope, and it's so easy for a story like that to be just, like, so up its own butt. And, like, 
just needlessly complicated and self-referential. But I think there's just something about Seven Remake. It it seems to reach out and say like, "Hey, we know how much you care about this. Like, let us guide you. Like, let us give you those same feelings again." But also take you somewhere new. And I don't know, man. It might just be the quarantine, but it worked for me. But I respect your opinion for sure. So, Eric, you keep saying it might just be the quarantine. But as a uh, disabled person who for a very long time gets stuck and like sometimes I can't leave the house for a month. So I have relied on video games for a very long time. And I, I feel exactly how you feel. It's not, you know, like I, not much has changed in my life since the quarantine. I even had the coronavirus. Like I, things haven't, this is, I mean, this is how I usually operate. There's not a lot of changes. I'm obsessed with it and I feel the same way you do. And we agree on a ton of points, the majority of points. I don't think it's just the quarantine. Hmm. I think that the quarantine has enhanced it and given us like, if, if we needed it, an excuse to play for very long periods of time, you know, but like, I, I don't think that it is. I think that, uh, I think if there weren't a quarantine going on, I think you'd still love it just as much. I think that's the, the phrasing that was on the outskirts of my head as you were saying it very smartly is yeah. Like enhanced the experience, right? It, it just, it made it easier to like dive into this thing. Uh, it made me primed for this mix of like, nostalgia like the familiar and the new but i'm i think i would have liked it anyway about it so it's just yeah it gives you the freedom to kind of indulge in it more so good timing i guess it's perfect timing what else am i gonna do until we open back up i guess i'll just animal cross cycle through (laughs) my girlfriend is playing that i i made a joke like oh yeah the two genders final fantasy 7 remake and animal crossing and then she very smartly was like i don't think final fantasy 7 is particularly masculine i think it's a very like all-encompassing game and i was like damn you're smart agree yeah i agree too Well, I think that's as good a place to leave things as any. Di, Eric, just thank you so much for going through everything here with me. I I think we covered everything there was to cover. If we didn't, uh, sorry. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us. I had a great time talking about this. And, uh, I mean, I could talk about this game ad nauseum for a very long time so i'm glad that you uh, are able to cut us off <laughs> you're welcome i've been thirsting talking about this game with people who care so thank you same well eric you know this is your first time i think actually being on the podcast and just as with any podcast at the end we like to take time to let people find out where you can be discovered online uh, is there any place in particular i'm on twitter at Eric C. Garneau, which I very rarely tweet because Twitter makes me sad. Also on Instagram at that. Uh, my big thing is I am one of the founders as well as the director of games and retail at the Chicago Board Game Cafe. We're still open for carryout and delivery during all this. So if you go to chicagodinnerandgame.com, you can see what we got going on. Also, I do a podcast about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power with my friend Lauren which will be coming back very soon because She-Ra is coming back very soon for a final season. So that's at, uh, it's called She-Ra Progressive of Power. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And Di, how about yourself? Hey, what's up? My name's Di Billick. You can find me uh, on Twitter, Di Billick. 
and you can find me on Instagram at Diabilic. And also, if you want information about uh, how I like to waste my life, go to diabilic.com. I'm also trying to figure out how to uh, stream on Twitch, and I've got my little setup going on. And uh, I think the first thing that I'm going to be doing next week is a replay of Dragon Age Origins. And that'll be dumb. My Twitch handle is Plaid Taco. I like it. So you can find me there. What about you, Bill? Well, as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast or stream via Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. I'm just wrapping up a playthrough of Final Fantasy VI that I've been doing every Wednesday night in the. Other nights is usually miscellaneous stuff, and I've also been chipping in some Saturday streams lately. If you would like to find this podcast, plus She-Ra Progressive of Power, plus other great nerdy podcasts, head over to nerdlogs.com. You'll find them all there. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. <laughs>